0: Good morning. It is good to see you today. Like I said at the beginning, it's a little bit weird to be here together the day after Christmas, isn't it? But it shouldn't be, but it is. And uh, I don't know, usually we're all, you know, taking naps right now or something the day after Christmas. I speak for myself. I love Christmas and, um, you you know, I notice at Christmas people are just a little bit kinder. You notice that? They're, they're a little bit kinder and and uh, you know some of you are looking at me like well you didn't go to the store that I went to uh, <laughs> granted um, but in general people are just a little more kind and 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 understanding and, and even forgiving and um, it feels good you know and it, and it feels good to give presents you know see people's joy as they open a gift that you picked for them it, it feels great to get a present doesn't it because you're you're holding this thing and you're thinking, wow, you know, they spent all this money on me. No, uh, and, and all this uh, wrapping paper. I think we should do without wrapping paper because it's just a waste. Um, but then there's the day after. And that's where we are today. And, I, and, and, and we hope, it's almost like we're holding our breath, hoping that some of that goodwill and good cheer and peace will stick. And you woke up at your house this morning. Let's look at Matthew 11. I think that verses 28 through 30 that we're looking at today has the answer we need. Please stand with me as we read God's word. Uh, I I said a couple weeks ago, it's it's hard to be a Christian in America at Christmas. And I think it's also hard to avoid a post-Christmas letdown. And I really do believe that these verses hold the key... Okay, these are the words of Jesus. Matthew 11, beginning at verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is easy. Is light. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth that reorients our souls to what is true and real and right and good. We thank you, Lord, that, that you use your word in our lives to change us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak because your servants are listening be glorified in and through our lives as you as you apply the word to our hearts and we thank you in jesus name amen so it is hard to be a christian in america at christmas we'll grant that but we can't use that as an excuse i will say though it is hard to avoid a post-christmas letdown and i'll just use a non-christmas example for you when i was a kid For several years in a row, we got to go to Disneyland once a year. That was a big deal for me growing up in Downey, just, you know, 20 miles from Disneyland. We didn't go there very often, but when I was a kid, for a while, we got to go to Disneyland once a year. And here's why. My dad was a Los Angeles policeman, and once a year, they had a big uh, LAPD-only party at Disneyland where, where only people connected to LAPD could go. And so, once a year, my family would go, and since we were part of that LAPD only party, we got to go in with a, a ticket around our necks on a little string, and uh, we could go on any ride we wanted, as many times as we wanted. Now, for those of you that are younger than 48, you're looking at me like, i'm crazy that's." you don't, first of all, you don't put something around your neck, and secondly, you just go in anyway. Not when I was growing up. When I was growing up, you had to buy a ticket book filled with A through E tickets, E being the best, and you had to give a separate ticket for every ride. So it was huge for once a year to go to Disneyland and not have to give tickets. In fact, I never went to Disneyland when there was the ticket. Those were too expensive. We don't go to, you don't go when, when you have to buy those, those tickets individually, okay? So... Um, we would go, and it, it was unbelievable for us as kids, me and my two sisters, and I would look forward to that day all year long, all year long. Now, I would also look forward to other days, my birthday, Christmas, and the LAPD, my dad's uh, uh, department, uh, his uh, station picnic that was at the police academy that was just huge for me as a kid. It was as many sodas as you wanted, as many burgers as you wanted, and all that. And again, I grew up in the era where you did not get as many sodas as you wanted and they didn't have refillable drinks and all that. So we didn't buy drinks at restaurants. We just, we could have those at home, okay? So uh, I would look forward to this day, but here's the thing. When it was over, there was always this letdown. My sisters and I would, once we got home, would argue a bit more. We would, uh, we would be kind of on edge. Um, tempers would, would flare quicker, and uh because here's the the deal we wanted every day to be disneyland we wanted every day to be that one day a year where uh it was so amazing and now i never really thought about my parents in this mix but they were probably just exhausted the day after uh from taking us three kids all over the the park but i think it's the same way with christmas in, in many ways you are either today disappointed that it's not Christmas again, or you're exhausted from pulling it off. And we need rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30 is an invitation to come to Jesus and experience rest. Some of you are like, I want some of that right now. Now, as we've gone through Matthew chapter 11, we've asked the question... Who is Jesus and what does he want for Christmas? And we have seen several things. This is the last week we're going to look at this question. But we've seen Jesus, the coming Messiah. That he wants people to listen to him so that they would understand who he is and become his true disciples. We have seen Jesus, the coming judge, who wants people to turn to him and escape the day of judgment. We have seen Jesus the revealing Savior last week who reveals God to us and wants us to humbly admit our need for Him so that we would come to know Him. Now today, we see Jesus the giving Lord. Jesus the giving Lord. It's appropriate the day after we have given and received so many presents. Jesus is the giving Lord. And and the point is this, that He wants his children to come to him and to learn from him so that they would live forever with him now you'll notice that, that all four weeks they've been somewhat interrelated and if they weren't there something would be wrong they're they're interconnected they're all a part of the same context of matthew 11 and they're all angling towards who jesus is and what he wants and, and in these verses we're going to look at today that reveal who Jesus is and what he wants, I, I want to, to uh, show you five interrelated truths that are, that are really embedded here. And, uh, and the first truth is this, that there is a precise call of God. There is a, a precise call, and, and Jesus gives the call, and he says, come to me. That's, that's the call. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, come to me? Now, because we'll say that to a lot of people, come over here and I'm going to give you instructions or I'm going to tell you what I want to tell you or I want to give you a hug or whatever it is that we want to give to people when we ask them to come to us. What did Jesus mean when he said, come to me? Um, now, some of you have had come to Jesus meetings with people, which are very serious meetings, right? Right? But seriously, there is a tie-in here with John chapter six. Go with me to John chapter six, and I, I think that's going to help us to explain it helps to explain what this means. John chapter six, and we're going to look at verse 35 and, and a few verses after that as well. And Jesus is speaking about being the bread of life, the bread of life. He has spoken. And he speaks in the Gospels, of, of, especially in John, of being the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the door, the good shepherd. Here he's speaking of, I am the bread of life. Okay? The sustenance of life, the, the meaning of life. And here's what he says in verse 35. Uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, there's that word comes to me, um, shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In verse 36 he says but I say to you that you have you that have seen me and yet do not excuse me but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Verse 37 All that the Father gives me will come to me there it is again come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And the key is this that the word comes to the, the phrase comes to me is is equal to the phrase believes in me. Uh, Similarly how hunger and thirst are meaning the same thing. That you want you want Jesus. uh, And you want and what you he satisfies your soul basically. But comes to me basically means believe in me. Believe in me. Now Peter said in Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And and, and John chapter 3 as well. Let's look at John chapter 3. And you know, you can't go to John 3.16 often enough, but it, we do sometimes get a bit um, hardened to the message of what Jesus is really saying but he, right before John 3.16, in John uh, 3.14, he mentions something. He says this, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you remember, when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, they would look at the serpent and be what? Healed, yes, they would be healed. So the idea is that looking to, uh, in the Old Testament, was believing in the New Testament. It's a similar thing of coming to me and believing. Um, So whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son would have eternal life, just as whoever looked upon the serpent would live. Okay? Uh, Another tie in there's other code words in in a way that, that basically mean believe in Jesus. But come to me means believe in, in me. And, and, and the immediate context really shows this, and it really goes together. You know, so many times what happens is we quote, and I've done this so many times, we just quote Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. And, and we use it mostly in a, in, a, in a framework of people that are really... You know weary and tired from working so hard and you need to to come to jesus and and the thing is is What happens when we do that and it's it's not a bad application It just we just miss the meaning which is huge We miss the meaning so we've got to look at the immediate context and it really goes together in verses 20 through 24 Jesus was speaking of those who had rebelled against him that were going to receive judgment And it was it was already determined and and there was this increasing negative response to Jesus that reflected God's sovereign choices. And Jesus, we see, is um, is God's unique agent in, in outworking those choices. In, in verse 25, we saw him say, Thank you, Father. Now, we usually thank people when we usually thank God when people believe. And we say, wow, thank you, Lord, that they've come to believe. Well, here, Jesus is thanking God when they weren't believing. Which seems kind of weird to us, but Jesus was thankful even when they remained stubborn and rebellious to God. And the reason why is that God is sovereignly in control of all things. That's what Jesus is bringing out, that God reveals himself only to those whom he chooses verse 27 Jesus said no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him I mentioned last week some people will say that doesn't fit my theology I'm like you need your theology to be biblical okay Jesus has authority to call people to himself that's what that's what verses 28 through 30 are Jesus calling people to himself based upon his sovereign authority so as jesus said in in verse 27 and you cannot you cannot separate uh verses 27 and 28 you got to keep them together now i did that last week we looked at 25 to 27 today we're looking at 28 through 30 and what i'm saying is they've got to be seen as a as a whole together because jesus is saying in verse 27 that our salvation is a sovereign act of god the sovereign work of god But the truth of divine election in in verse 27 is fully compatible with the free offer to all in verses 28 through 30. They're not incompatible. So Jesus' choice of us, and we find this out after coming to believe, but Jesus' choice of us comes before our believing in him. But both must happen for a person to be saved. Now, God's sovereignty then in, in salvation goes hand in hand with the full and free offer of the gospel to all. Um, spoken so beautifully in verse 28 when Jesus says, simply, come to me. Come to me. So we see that no one is saved apart from, from God revealing himself to sinners and no one is saved without coming to Christ. Now, this should shape our attitude and our and really our, our actions as we, as we seek to, sh- to, to share the gospel with those who don't believe, that we preach the gospel to all and leave the results to God. The gospel is the power of God for his sovereign act of salvation. Now the call is to come to Jesus. That, that's what you see in verse 28. It's an invitation to believe. It's a precise call it's not a call to a church it's not a call to, um, uh, to a pastor or a priest or, or to an organization it's a call to come to Jesus that's the first truth the second truth that you see in these verses is, is seen in, in what is, is what the call is meant to alleviate that there is a pre-existing condition now you know you go get, try to get medical coverage with a pre-existing condition they're going to turn you away Jesus calls people to himself knowing full well their previous condition, pre-existing condition, because that's why he came to earth. Right? Jesus came to save sinners. That's that's the idea. And so the pre-existing condition is that we we are weary and heavy laden. So Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. Now weary... Laboring means to work till you're totally exhausted Now some people have never done that Some have Some do it all the time They work till they're totally exhausted Now I can remember specific times in my life When I was dead tired Just dead tired No energy left Just uh, I had to just lay down Exhausted due to hard work And, and I can remember specific times When I was a kid there was one day in, in the winter, and, and it happened a couple times when I was a kid, but my dad and I, after we would chop a tree down, cut a tree down, we would split logs. You know, and we lived in the city, but we, we would split logs for firewood, okay? We didn't have one of those gas logs and all that. We used real wood, okay? And so we would split logs in the backyard, and, and it was tough, tough work, okay? And he would let me do some of it. The other thing I remember as a kid is working with my dad at, at, at these properties they had in Cudahy, where I first lived when I was a kid, and also at my grandfather's house in South Central, my Italian immigrant grandfather's house who lived in South Central L.A. We would do work on property, and, and, and often we would I would come home and I would just be, you know, uh, exhausted. Now, as an adult, I remember a couple instances as well that where I was just couldn't, go any further. There was once I was in the, the highlands of New Guinea on an eight-hour trek uh, going from one village to another on, on a missions trip. And I got to the point where I couldn't go any further and I, I literally lay, laid down on the, on the ground for 45 minutes and slept. And um, and, and it, I was exhausted. Uh, I remember another time, I, I believe it was in the year 2000, I did a, a 24-hour uh, thing, it was called Run for Hungry Children. And we ran twenty four miles in twenty four hours, and what we did is we we, we ran uh, four six mile races uh, at race speed with only five hours of, of rest in between and, uh, and and I was just I, I remember just being exhausted for like a week afterwards, but this is not the kind of weariness that that Jesus is referring to here weary does mean to work till you're exhausted, but it's a it's a spiritual. It's, it's 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 talking about spiritually exhausted. It means to work till you are spiritually exhausted, trying to please God, trying to earn eternal life on your own effort. Weary, now heavy laden is another word that points to a time in the past, and, and the way where this fits and how it's um, written, and and the ten sits in points to a time in the past. When a huge load was put on you. A huge burden was put on you. So the idea here is this. Weary is the internal exhaustion that comes from trying to work your way to God through human wisdom and human understanding. It's interesting that a lot of people who say, well, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, live just like that. And the the, the heavy laden... is is to be weighed down with an external burden of the expectations that others have put on you in terms of what what you need to do to please God. To to be weighed down with the the external burden of trying to gain righteousness by works. And again, many professing believers live like that. Now there's echoes of the the first beatitude here in you know Matthew five three, but blessed are the the poor in spirit, weary from your own sin and weighed down with others' expectations. Well, the invitation is given by Jesus to all, and it and it's given to all who hear in such a way that something unique happens, and it's. It makes perfect sense. It's given in such a way that only the ones who will respond to the invitation are those who are burdened by their own spiritual bankruptcy and the weight of trying to save themselves. Because humans' sinful humanity's sinful rebellion is is so stubborn that without a a God-given spiritual awakening, no one's going to come to Jesus. All sinners will refuse. To acknowledge the truth and the depth of their spiritual poverty before God. Without God doing something to bring them there. To draw them, as Jesus says, Drawing all to himself. The invitation to come to Christ remains for all. To this day, it's, it's given to all. But it requires the recognition that people can't come... By exalting themselves As, as you, you see back in, in verse 23 that, that it's the wise and understanding No, it's not for them But it's only by completely uh, Surrendering Completely uh, yielding to Jesus Christ And trusting in him That's the idea That as Jesus alone reveals the Father He invites not the wise and understanding But the weary and the burdened. That's the idea the son reveals the father not to enhance anyone's self-sufficiency or prideful arrogance. Not to reinforce enmity towards God. But to bring, as, as, as it says in verse 25, little children to know the father. Those who are humble. It's he wants to introduce the heavy laden to eternal rest. It was like the angel said to to Joseph before Jesus was born that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 So then all who are worn out from trying so hard and who recognize their spiritual need the little children, spiritually speaking, will accept him and demonstrate that they've been chosen by God. The wise and the understanding, the wise and the learned will reject his call and show that they were not chosen. The idea here is that there is this pre-existing condition that the call is meant to alleviate, and it's the idea of being weary and heavy laden with sin. The third truth is this, that just as obeying the, the precise call alleviates the misery of sin, it leads to a promised certainty. A promise certainty. Jesus is promising something to those who come to him. And, and I know some of us made an amazing discovery within the last 24 hours. We figured something out. And we may have realized it before, but with many things that God wants to teach us, we, we learn it and then we relearn it and then we learn it again. And we, we are process learners. And, and what we now know is this an amazing discovery. That nothing that we received for Christmas in the way of presents can ever satisfy our souls. Nothing we could ever attain can satisfy our souls. No one but Jesus Christ, no one but the Lord Jesus Christ gives true joy and true contentment and and, and true meaning in life. Only Jesus gives true rest how many times do we think if only I could get that if only I could have that if only if only and Jesus is showing that there is this promised certainty that he is promising and, and when Jesus says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden he, he says this I and I will give you rest so believe in me and I will give you rest So we need to know what that rest is. What is the rest? What what will it feel like? What will it look like? What what will it be? The word rest means to calm. It means to comfort. It means to refresh. Sounds good, right? What we're always hoping for in a vacation. We need to know what that means. The, the word rest here reflects the Old Testament concept of rest as a relief relief from the pressures of life and the tensions of life and then the peace that follows. So there's relief and, and then peace. The tension gets taken away and, and peace gets replaced with it. It's like those of you that, that live in places where there's always arguing, there's always unrest, there's always turmoil and you're like i just want some peace i just want some peace and quiet i I want things to be at rest now every time i think about those times i've been physically exhausted every time i've been physically exhausted like that there has been some relief why am i standing here right now or else i would have died uh, there was a good night's rest when I was a kid you know and, or after we'd work really hard I'd get to go to McDonald's with my dad and we'd have I'd get a hamburger and a filet fish sandwich and a shake too um, when I did that back bay the, the, the race at the back bay the, I, there was a, I, I, I had a van to sleep in between races and, and I did <laughs> it set an alarm to get up for the next race uh, in, in Indonesia, in, in New Guinea, where I, where I, was, I there was, there were bananas and water waiting for me when I woke up. Right, right there, just right there being offered to me. And, and I ate those, and there was relief, there was rest. I, I got energy, and I, I went. Um, I remember a month in 1988 where I was down uh, with, with pneumonia and, and mono at the same time. I had overdone it. And I had gone on this mission. Uh, went to a conference back in Ur- Urbana while I had the flu, and I went to like freezing, uh, you know, uh, temperatures, and and uh, I came home uh, deathly ill, you know. And I, I and so I well, the problem was I'm like, oh, I'll be better in a couple days, and I would get up and I would just get wasted again. Here I was a young guy, and I just couldn't couldn't shake it, it for about three months, and I finally had to actually rest. I got forced rest by the doctor. He said, you've got to be, you have to, can't do anything for a month. So I didn't. Rest was granted in every instance um, where there was need. And, and, but what Jesus is referring to here, though, is, is more than that. It goes beyond that relief that we, that we feel. So what is the rest that Jesus gives? What is it? What It's something. There is a tie-in here, uh, again, to, um, to John, especially John chapter 3 and, and, and verse 16. The idea that, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave, so he gave something. He, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And the tie-in here really is that the rest that he gives is eternal life. It is the assurance of eternal life And you're like well, wait I wanted something more than that How could you want something more That's the ultimate That's the ultimate gift The gift of himself That gives true rest That gives true peace That gives true joy If this was the first time we'd ever heard it We'd be like wow I can't believe it God did that for me Wow We're like oh I know that one already Give me something else Give me another answer we just sang it a few minutes ago, Saved to sin no more. I was, as we were singing that, I'm thinking, Saved to sin no more. Uh, not here on earth. <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, but, someday in heaven. Saved to sin no more. As we sing, we have that hope of heaven. The, the, the hope of eternal life, though, it starts when we come to know Jesus. And that we, we're hopefully sinning less. feels more grievous. But hopefully we're actually... Uh, Becoming more Christ like. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 and 10, this, this rest is actually referred to as a Sabbath rest for the people of God who have rested from their works and, and are resting in His, in Christ's finished work. The whole idea is this eternal life that God gives and, and then the peace with God that flows from it, as, as Romans 5 1 says. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified, By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have this resulting peace that comes. It's an overriding peace. Think of the Jews. The Jews of Jesus' day struggled with a load, a burden of religious expectation that had been dumped on them, basically. Laid upon their shoulders. And Jesus had words for their Messiah-rejecting leaders. He said, Woe to you, blind guides of the blind." But to those under the burden, he's basically saying, come take the light burden of obedience under the covenant that I will seal with my own blood and I'm going to give you the covenant reward of deep down peaceful rest, eternal life, freedom from guilt, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from self-striving. It's like Jesus is saying, if you continue to carry the heavy burden of works-oriented self-serving Phariseeism, you're never going to find rest. You've got to lay it down. And it's like Jesus is saying, you were designed to carry, you were designed by God to carry my load, not man's load. What did Jesus say to the scribes and the Pharisees? Even in Matthew 23, he says, you know, you, you put burdens on people and you don't even want to lift a finger to, to 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 do those things see jesus promises to give believers eternal rest true rest it starts now and continues on through eternity fourth truth fourth truth and it's as the precise call alleviates the misery caused by sin uh leading to a promised certainty rest eternal life that comes with a prescribed commitment uh, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn of me. A yoke was a handmade wooden frame used to join two animals together so they could work together. It was used here in, in verse 29 as a metaphor to describe a, a person being subject to another. Yoke stood for submission to an occupation or to an obligation. For the Jews, a, a yoke was a common way to refer to the law. Uh, Acts 15 talks about uh, the yoke of legalism. Galatians 5.1 says, Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Living under humanly impossible rules and regulations of the law. So Jesus' yoke, what is that? Jesus' yoke is commitment to him. It's receiving and accepting his authoritative interpretation of God's truth. It's, it's, it's receiving his revelation of what the law truly intended as Matthew 5 uh, showed us that that's what Jesus did. Being yoked to Christ means to rely upon Christ. It means to trust in Christ. It means to yield to Christ. It means to, to give him your burdens. It means to accept the necessity of walking close with him. He says, take my yoke upon you and then learn of me. The rabbis, by the way, used uh, yoke also for school um, and uh, Think about, it. if you're a student right now, you're you're seeing school as a yoke, a burden that you're free from for a couple of weeks now, right? You gotta go back to. Uh, interestingly, the English word for school comes from the Greek word for leisure, skole. Uh, but anyway, taking Jesus' yoke means you're signing up for Jesus' school. Now, most teachers in those days sometimes were, were harsh and demanding and and. and, and Jesus here says take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am gentle and humble in heart now that was that was crazy talk that was crazy talk Uh, Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart especially lowly lowly was a bad word in those days lowly was a negative word lowly was was a, a wrong word you don't want to be that and Jesus made it a good word Philippians 2 tells us that, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus put himself in a place that no one would put themselves in, that people want to get out of that place. That Jesus is saying, I am gentle and lowly in heart. The idea here is that if you, first what you do is you come to Jesus and you believe by faith. Then you learn of him the idea is growing in Christ the idea is is growing as a Christian that's what learn here means to grow in Christ as more and more of the strain of of doing it all yourself passes over to Christ you cast your cares upon him because he cares for you and you learn what that means that you will know the truth of of the freedom that Christ brings and and, and the eternal freedom forever but not everyone finds the, the, the rest that Christ gives Like the Pharisees of old There are evil men And imposters Who deceive And are being deceived I watched a program The other day That encouraged me And also made me Sick to my stomach At the same time uh, It was called uh, A Christmas for Everyone A Christmas for Everyone It featured a Christian pastor A Jewish rabbi And and a Muslim imam And uh My soul was edified Because God's word Was read by, By many people In this program And uh and Bible-based Christmas songs were sung. But my stomach turned because when the Christian pastor got up, he twisted, mangled, and reinterpreted the gospel, revised the gospel, and the identity and mission of Jesus in the process. And to hear the people read God's word and, and sing was awesome, but to hear him speak proved he didn't believe what they had just read and sang. The word of God was read. Great Christmas songs were sung. Then he explained it away as something almost secular. Um, no mention of, of, of why Jesus came to earth. No mention of sin or judgment or Christ's substitutionary atonement at the cross. The, 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 this pastor portrayed Jesus as a part, part biblical, a part political, part self-help guru. Um, nothing like the portrait of, Je- portrait of Jesus that we have seen uh, in Matthew 11 um it, he didn't present the jesus of the bible and, and the problem was it, it, galatians 1 tells us that you know he had a different gospel he brought a different jesus and the bible says he's gonna be accursed he'll be accursed um he quoted the first part of john three sixteen. he said for god so loved the world and then he went off on his own agenda it had nothing to do with the rest of the verse Nothing to do with how God sent his only son so that whoever would believe in him would, would not perish but have everlasting life. Nothing about that. Here's the thing. God's word changes people, but people try to change God's word to fit their life. It's supposed to be the other way around. It's supposed to be, uh, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Uh, do what you want. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 tells us that, that God's word does its work in those who believe. And and God, Jesus so here's the thing Um, come to me and I'll give you rest take my yoke and learn of me for I'm gentle and humble in heart the idea is Jesus is going to free us up to serve him Jesus does not though give irresponsible freedom he gives freedom under his grace we don't have the freedom to twist scripture we have freedom to obey it because the Holy Spirit indwells us We find Christ's rest as we grow in Christ, which happens, as 1 Peter 2 2 says, as we long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it we may grow with respect to salvation. The word of God is going to help us grow. And Jesus is not offering a a yoke of religious obligation, but neither is he offering freedom from all constraints. Jesus' yoke is a yoke of discipleship to him. Living in light of who he is. uh, Seeking to be yielding to his lordship in everything. Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. And he gives rest to all who will submit themselves to him. Those are the only ones that will get his rest. Last truth. Fifth truth. uh, And it really built on all the other ones. The the precise call obeyed. uh, Alleviates the misery caused by sin. And it leads to a promised certainty. Eternal life. And a prescribed commitment. Which is discipleship following jesus and this generates a perfect confidence a perfect confidence jesus says and you will find rest for your souls you will find rest for your souls there's an assurance here you will find rest from the endless fruitless effort to save yourself by works you will have permanent rest in the grace of god apart from works and jesus says in verse 30 my yoke is easy But Christ's yoke is not easy Like we use the term It does not mean without effort It it does not mean simple It does not mean something that requires no investment It's not what it means We think it means exactly what we use the term for In our our, uh, culture now That's not what it means And back then it's not what it meant What it means is Good My yoke is good qualitatively good and and do you notice something here that christ's rest is both given and found jesus says i will give you rest verse 28 and verse 29 says you will find rest for your souls so it is given in pardon it is given in forgiveness we who are enemies with god and against him or reconciled to God when we come to him and we believe. But it is found in in following Christ. It is found in the process of discipleship. It is found under his yoke and his burden. As we learn of him, as we grow in Christ. Jesus is referring to Jeremiah 6.16, by the way, when he says, you will find rest for your souls. It connects the blessing to a right covenant relationship with God jeremiah 6 it says this uh, this is what the lord says stand at the crossroads and see look ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is and walk in it that's comparable to jesus's light burden right there and you will find rest for your souls that's jesus's covenant promise but the but that doesn't end that's not where Jeremiah ends it says but you said we will not walk in it so it goes on to say hear O Israel I am bringing disaster on you see in Jeremiah 6 Jerusalem was experiencing disaster as a result of their unrepentant hearts their their lack of confession their disobedience to God that was the situation in which these words were spoken and history was about to repeat itself. They needed to turn to God. So Christ's call to come to Him is meant to, to generate repentance and confession of sin. It is meant to alleviate our pre-existing condition. Weary and heavy laden due to sin. Which leads to that certainty, the rest that He will give, code for eternal life, and a commitment take my yoke upon you and learn of me be my disciple follow me abide in me grow in me which generates confidence that that you will find rest for your souls that that you will experience eternal rest now under the lordship of Christ and forever in his kingdom if you haven't noticed what Jesus is doing in these three verses is giving a gospel invitation what he's doing He is giving a gospel invitation to all people to come to him on his terms. Our website has the following words on it. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whomever will come, This church opened wide its doors and offers welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if that is you today, you're in a really good place. A really good place. If you're not a believer, if you're not yet a believer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. So call on his name, the name which is above every name. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, shedding his blood for you in your place Paid the debt for sin for all who will believe. So come to Jesus and find your rest in him. Find rest for your burdened soul. And, and let me remind you, salvation is not through a church. Salvation is not through a ritual. It is not through a creed. It is not through a pastor. It is not through a priest. It is not through any human means. Only through Jesus Christ. To come to Jesus is to believe to the point of submitting yourself to his lordship to yield to him to believe and live if you're not a believer you need to do that today now if you are a believer there is something here for you very clearly to take my oak upon you and learn of me and maybe you've gotten a bit stagnated in in your relationship with god that your growth has been stunted from lack of of hearing the word or maybe you become spiritually fat and lazy you've heard the word a lot you're just not doing the word and you're deceiving yourself as you take it in but don't let it flow out in a relationship in a living relationship with jesus the overflow worship team uh come on up we got one more song um let me just say this. This is, a, this is a sacred moment. Now, every time we meet, this is a sacred moment. There are always sacred moments in the presence of God. Every moment in the presence of God is a sacred moment. But this is a, a, a sacred moment a, a right now that God has you in. That you can have true rest in Christ. And if you already have it, it's good to be reminded. If, you're, if it seems to be slipping away, it's good to be reminded. If you don't have it, you need it. and by the way, I'm not going to ask you to walk down the aisle. I, I don't think I've ever done that here. I'm not going to ask you to walk down the aisle. You can run if you want. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to decide where you stand with God today. That's what I ask you to do. And I'm going to simply read Romans 10 nine through eleven and then you just do what it says, okay? You do what, you do what it says. Um, here, here's what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame.